And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley, and ladies and gentlemen, it is time to get on up. He's back on the scene like a source machine. Cody Stavenhagen is here, and he's got his Twitter back. Cody, how you doing? Hey, doing all right. That's that's a lot of hype for a early Saturday morning here, but I like it. Twitter is back. Sure enough, already kind of tired of it. Been getting some pretty dumb comments on Twitter, but hey, at least uh, <laughs> better than nothing. Twitter's like uh like that girl you just can't quit, man. You just you, you miss it when you don't have it, and when you yeah, when you have it, yeah. you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> we're, we're gonna just have to lead off with this one. I uh, you know was was making one of my running joke tweets about like baseball being. People should think baseball is more interesting. I said, you know, don't uh, don't watch preseason football. Miggy's on four ninety nine. The joke's actually a little less funny now that people are paying attention to the Tigers. <laughs> like it started out as just a total joke. Now it's like becoming somewhat serious. But anyway, you know, so this guy who lives in like South Carolina got very mad, and he and I said, do yourself a favor and don't watch preseason football. And he said, the condensation, which he meant condescension. <laughs> And it was like, there's no way to point this out without being more condescending. So I just put LOL. And uh, then he responded like, WTF, does this mean LOLOL? And he didn't realize that, you know, condensation, like the water cycle. And I was hoping Twitter would like ratio him. But I guess, you know, not everyone on Twitter is as condescending as I am. But Well, speaking of ratio, that that like TV guy or whatever in Baltimore who was like, I haven't thought about the Tigers in five years. Is like, did, have they done anything since Ty Cobb? That's like, that's just like a. It's, not, it's what did I say a couple weeks ago about like you're not that funny. Like that's like an example of like, hey, person X. Like you're just like, it's not even like, it's not even a funny joke. Like I love jokes, like even at my own expense. But like, that's not even like a funny joke. Like that doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't even, like, clever. Like, you're not clever. Like, it just wasn't even funny. Like, what? No, it was, like, ignorant. You could say that about any team. Just choose a player from, like, the dead ball era. Oh, have they even been relevant since Honus Wagner? Like That's what I did you, since we, we, we just, Wheelie Keller, you know, you know the Baltimore chop. Yeah, yeah. Haven't been yeah. relevant yeah. since then. No, they've had, the Orioles have had no good players, no Hall of Famers. No, no guys uh, named Robinson or anything. Series, you know. No, not not a guy they called like the Iron Man. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, you just just you can just choose to ignore seventy, eighty plus years of of history and say a team's been irrelevant, and it's it's funny. Yeah, it was, it was just like it's know. just like you're not even. It's not clever. It's not funny. Like it was really lame. So, whatever. Tiger the Tigers account actually had a pretty funny snarky remark to it. I appreciated it. Social mm-hmm. media accounts by teams in baseball, more or less, they do a pretty good, good job. Good, good stuff. Pretty funny. Speaking of good stuff. Uh, you were a traveler this for the majority of this week. You went over to Erie, Penn, or in AP style, Pennsylvania, and you, PA is the abbreviation as well. Yes, it is. And so you got to see the future of the Tigers, um, and you got to see one of the more uh, remarkable games probably in uh, in SeaWolves history, honestly in terms of scoring output and, and the star power and stuff. So you picked a good week to go. Uh, overall, what what were you aiming to do when you when you went over there, and what what did you see? 
Yeah, I mean, I was aiming to watch some prospects play baseball, and there was a time where I was a little worried it wasn't going to happen because their uh, their second I was there for three days. The second game got rained out. There was rain in the forecast uh, for the third day. There was a lot of Tigers personnel on hand for day two, and those folks, I'm told, or actually I know, all left town, didn't stick around for the doubleheader, and they missed out. There's a doubleheader rescheduled for the third day I was there. As most of you probably know, Spencer Torkelson went 7-for-7 seven seven with three home runs over the course of these two games. Riley Green homered twice. Uh, they, they let off game two with Green, Ryan Kreidler, Torkelson back-to-back-to-back bombs. It was definitely exciting to see. And also, you know, Erie's um, just kind of a good place to hang. You know, very double-A minor league feel. Was able to talk to several different players. Bo Brisky, who's a very good story, a rising pitcher in the system. Talked to Kreidler, Torkelson, Green, who are still... You can tell these young guys are feeling the length of the long season. They all seemed kind of tired physically, even though they killed it on the field. They all talked about just like, yeah, we're learning that this season is a grind. But we're still uh, really laid back, twerking green, joking around a lot. Talked to Dylan Dingler, even though he's hurt. So uh, overall, I think it was a productive trip. We're going to have some more stories coming out on all those guys um, here over the next week. And yeah, um, got to see, you know, when I saw one twerk bomb, I was like, all right, saw a twerk bomb. Maybe this trip was worthwhile. Didn't know I was going to see six more Torkelson hits and two more home runs in addition to a lot of other exciting stuff. So good day to be in Erie. Absolutely. Well, I mean, a great get to be able to talk to Dingler. Uh, for those that don't know, like typically injured guys, like they're not going to, they're not going to talk to the media teams, just like won't make them available. So, I mean, it, obviously with minor leagues and all that stuff, sort of understanding, uh, you know what's going on that that's pretty cool i don't know i, I just honestly didn't think you'd be able to talk to him because again they typically yeah you know luckily double a is a little different than certainly college football if anyone even has a bruise you will just never speak to them you know baseball those guys are around but it's kind of a thing like oh don't hit up the injured guys every now and then you know if, if an injured guy's in the clubhouse you'd be like hey how's it coming you know how are you doing but generally you don't talk to them as much uh double a i asked i was like is dingler available and greg gagno the the broadcaster and the uh, media relations guy over there was just like oh no he's available like why wouldn't he be you know because it's like he's here you know he's just chilling not like he was doing anything he's got a, a fractured finger it's not like he's out for a year or anything he'll probably miss a couple more weeks and so anyway yeah dingler was available so shout out greg gagno shout out dylan dingler for not having any problem talking just because um, he has an injured finger and yeah, that's one of the good things about minor league baseball. Definitely a pretty chill feel. And I'd say double A is kind of the last bastion of, of purity in baseball. Like you get up to triple A and it's kind of this mix of young guys putting a lot of pressure on themselves, trying to get the call and kind of some old jaded veterans who want to be back in the majors. These four A guys, triple A definitely has a little more of a tense feel to it. And obviously the big leagues are the big leagues. Double A feels a lot like being around college baseball like it's still it's uh very relaxed very pure and and even though you have some big time prospects guys like Torkin green 
credit to them for at least so far in their careers still still seeming like really down to earth guys. Yeah, that's really cool, especially, you know, Torque being the number one overall pick. I know Green was a high first round pick as well, but Torque was like the guy for a longer period of time, having gone to Arizona State, breaking Barry Bonds record. Yeah. Uh, if there was a formula for a guy to be a total D bag, like the kind of guy that would like drive a Mustang, then like it would it would, it would be it would be Torque. Uh <laughs> Torque Torque can afford a nicer sports car than a Mustang. And we'll see what happens, you know, when these guys make the show and they become big stars. But Torque is just like the consummate ball player. He's got this ball player build and this ball player look, and he's just a little bit goofy and he just, you know, wrecks baseballs and and that's definitely the vibe he gives off. And it's 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 kind of funny. I will be interested to see with all these guys, how do they carry themselves in five years when they're stars and they're on TV and they're their media obligations, you know, triple and they're signing autographs all the time. But yeah, we can see guys become divas even in the minors. And that's definitely not the case with uh, Torkelson or Riley Green right now at all. Well, or if they, you know, do get up to the majors, they start slumping or, you know, whatever. Like that will yeah, that'll, yeah, that'll that be too. something to, to look out for. I, I like that note that you said about the grind of a season um obviously last year being the ultimate anomaly and then uh we know what riley went through his first year in the system where he uh and obviously no criticism just a matter of fact just really really skidded at the end because of all you know the draft his high school season travel year-round florida blah 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 and then professional baseball move up and you know he he needed a break like nobody's business and so that's why, and we've talked about it a couple times sporadically over the course of this podcast, the idea of, you know, advancing them up or, you know, like every now and then the notion of like, should they come up to the majors or whatever? And one of the things I said initially, if you'll remember, is I'm in favor of essentially letting them ride out the season to get them used to that sort of like ball player schedule or whatever. Give them give them the stability of the chaos if that makes sense where it's like you're here you're traveling but you're not necessarily going you know worried about going up levels i thought that would have been great for for them all i i don't know if that's the plan or not but at this point it seems like that would be what i would recommend for both of them and also because double a is typically where you see like higher talent um, to go up against, whereas AAA, as you said, can be a lot of times like sort of the in-between. So you, a lot of times the top prospects spend a lot of time in AA, which is sort of what we're seeing. So I think it's I think that in addition to whatever their numbers are, that's probably been one of the better things for them to just kind of be normal ball players, which they couldn't last season in any fashion. Even, you know, Torque would have had a weird year last year with the draft, but you know, this is probably the most stable they've been in a couple of years as uh, as it pertains to baseball. Yeah, I think Torkelson, Kreidler, Dingler, the guys who this is their first real pro non-pandemic season are the ones who are, are really learning that. Um, Riley Green, a little bit of a different case. This is actually his first full pro year, but he's played in the minors before. He had a full year of being a ball player, even though it was a pandemic year. I'm not. I'm generally in favor of not rushing guys. I don't think there's these guys should be in the big leagues this year. But watching Riley Green, I was like, this guy 
looks too good for double A right now. He looked incredibly polished. Something about his plate approach was more polished than ever. Just very good ABs. There's a little more swing and miss in Riley Green's game than people realize. And he did strike out three times. Um, and I think seven ABs in that double header. But even the strikeouts were were good at bats. He was able to grind through counts. He had a 3-2, you know, opposite field double against a left-hander. He's crushing lefties. He has great instincts in the field, as, as we've really come to know. He looked, it was one of those things, it was like going to a high school game, and it takes you about five minutes to spot the kid that has D1 offers. Even compared to Torkelson, who put up more numbers, something about Green, it was just like, this is the guy. He looked really advanced. He looked to me like he was doing all the little things right. His swing uh, was as good as ever. His hands were as quick as ever. He looked like he was playing on rookie mode. I don't know. And he's been in double A the whole year, and he's had a very steady year in double A, been consistent all year, hitting it you know, in the 290s. I think he's up to like 15 home runs now. I don't think it would hurt to have Riley Green spin September in Toledo and see some pitchers who maybe their sheer stuff isn't as good as some of the things he'll see in double A, but the location's probably going to be a little more refined. The sequencing is going to be a little more refined. That's probably the one thing guys like Green and Torkelson could still struggle with whenever they do get up to the majors. I When I was watching Riley Green, I just saw a guy who, who looks like he has passed the double A test and he's ready for a little more challenge. And if you really want these guys to spend most of, if not all, next year in the major leagues, why not start challenging them a little bit more now? Torkelson, good as he is, as much as he's raking, he has been a little more up and down. He he hasn't been in double-A the whole year. I don't know that the third base thing is a worthwhile venture at this point. It's pretty clear the Tigers are going to need him to play first base. But if you believe in that, he's got a, he still needs a lot of improvement at third. He booted a really routine ground ball um, the first game I was there. I think even even base running, you know, some other things, even working the count. Although Torkelson is extremely disciplined, uh, I think he still maybe has a tendency to to wait for the perfect pitch almost a little bit too much. It helped that when he hit three homers, he was seeing a lot in ninety two center cut. Or a lot of 77 hanging breakers. Uh, I think Torque, and this is his first pro season, like he's going to need a little more refining. Maybe you do let him ride out the year in Erie. Uh, after that trip, I'm in favor of, of challenging Riley Green a little bit more, though. Who's got a sweeter swing? I think that's one of the most fascinating things. I'm going to write about this a little bit. Their swings are both so great and so sweet and so effective, yet they're entirely different swings. Riley Green, obviously left-handed. He's got the, uh, you know, kind of a big load and big hand separation and a high Griffey-esque finish. That sweet, loopy left-handed swing. And then Torque bats from the right side. And he's got this big frame and he's super low to the ground, low center of gravity, and just the simplest swing imaginable. I mean, it's, if it's a hitting instructor, I think it's what you would teach. It's just to the ball. Yet somehow he generates, somehow torque generates a ton of torque. Um, so it depends what you're looking for. I think aesthetically, Riley Green's swing is just beautiful to watch. I think if I'm a hitting instructor, I'm saying swing like Spencer Torkelson because that's just, the mechanics are just flawless and there's so little room for error in the fact he has no extraneous movements. 
So one of the things that I'm really curious about with Riley, as I sort of project out the t- next couple years of the Tigers in my mind, is Riley's arm. Uh, because mm-hmm. there's more to it than that, but we still kind of go with the old, you know, the old notion of, you know, your best arm in, in right field and, you know, maybe your fastest or guy in center. And a lot of times you kind of stick a guy in left. Uh, but if he doesn't have a, a good adequate arm, that's sort of limits the center field, left field thing. And, I don't know. Like as you project, like I said, as you project the lineup, you'd love to have Derek Hill in center. What are you going to do with Akil Badu? We all we know Akil Badu's arm isn't really right field worthy at this point. No. So what no. what is the arm grade for you uh, for Riley Green? I feel like in all the times I've seen Riley Green, which is kind of a lot now when you include spring training, never seen the arm tested in a game, and maybe that's a sign that he doesn't have a strong arm and he's not throwing guys out. I can't even recall seeing it on on video much. Maybe I'm wrong and and missing it. So on this trip, I tried to pay a little more attention to how he was throwing pregame, how he was throwing in and out, how he was throwing back to the infield after a, a base hit or after catching a pop fly. And he was bouncing a lot of those throws. Now, granted, they weren't throws where he had to hurry and get a ball in or he had to... um you know, was trying to cut down a runner, but something about his, his motion, I felt like he was kind of short arming those throws, a lot of hops into the infield, MLB pipeline grades his arm a 55. From what I would, I've seen, I think that might be generous. I think I'd say 50 max. Um, I think it's not a terrible arm. I think it's better than Kristen Stewart or Akil Badu, but I have yet to see Riley Green's arm has never popped. It's never really opened my eyes. I'm not saying it's so bad he couldn't play right field, but I do not see the makings of a strong-armed right fielder in Riley Green. I think he would be best suited being a tremendous defensive left fielder with plenty of arm to suffice in left and a guy who can play some center He's not going to be your everyday dominant Derek Hill center fielder in terms of the amount of ground he can cover, but very good defender, very good instincts. If guys like Victor Reyes can play center field, Riley Green is entirely capable of of seeing some time in center. And, you know, he can play right a little bit too. Like he can play all three positions, but I think left is where his profile is overall going to fit the best. Is it better than Robbie Grossman? Um... Probably a pretty comparable arm, I would say, and that Grossman's arm doesn't do a lot for me. It's not bad. It's not great. I, yeah, yeah, like yeah, Rob, in that tier. Yeah, because Robbie to me is sort of like the quintessential, just sort of uh, like steady fielder. You're not really gonna breath yeah. like you know, well with his arm, I should say, with his arm. Like yeah. you're not really gonna brag about it, but you're not gonna complain about it either. And <laughs> and you know, in a as we sort of look at lots of teams trying to manufacture runs and advance bases and stuff like the outfield arm is very much a key component of, of having a solid defensive, you know, formation. Yeah. So that, that is interesting when you look at the future of the Tigers outfield, do any of these guys have good arms? I think probably Derek Hill has your best arm and he's a center fielder who has had Tommy John surgery and, you know, 
isn't isn't exactly Joey Gallo, but he, he you know can cut some guys down on the bases every now and then. I think Derek Hill has your best arm, so I don't I don't see a right field arm in this system, at least not among the guys who who um, are expected to be able to hit at the major league level. So that'll be interesting to follow for sure. It's always amazing when when you when you talk about team building and you sort of look at like the traits you you like identify for and then sort of you need to more or less trade off like this for that because it turns out some of these traits aren't it's not easy to find a Joey Gallo you know it's not easy to find these guys that like have all these tools and you need to be able to you know uh, to to get them in or they're expensive or they're guys that you just try to play out of position before you finally realize that they need to play first base (laughs) 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 which uh which as you said it i i do think it's it's kind of a funny underlying current where i think the unspoken truth with torgelson is all right he's gonna play third base yes we know he's gonna end up at first but we're just gonna kind of entertain this because we sort of want to say we did but no one is actually when they talk about Torkelson no one actually seriously talks about third base I not that I've seen no not 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 no not anymore and again I didn't hate the idea as much as a lot of people when he was drafted but okay we're a year into this thing now and we know in in a short amount of time a couple things have become clear one is that the Tigers biggest need is at first base Jamer Candelario looks like he's going to be able to hold down third here going forward. And if he doesn't, maybe Isak Paredes can. You have options at third. Who do you got at first other than Jonathan Scope, who should actually be a second baseman? Like, you need a first baseman. Guess what? That's Torkelson's best position. So that's it's become clear you have a void at first. And it's become clear that Torkelson just isn't that good at third. It's not like he's so big that he's immobile. I still kind of like his feet. Um... I like his, but his, the Tigers thought he had the hands that could play third base. I don't really see the hands, and although it's not like he can't move around, sometimes his feet just looks like he's in sand a little bit, like he's just not swift, and he's made a lot of errors. He's made, you know, his, his arm throwing across the diamond isn't amazing. It's pretty clear that the Torkelson at third base thing just like, if you really want this guy to play third base, he needs a lot more work. Good news, you don't need him to play third base. He's a first baseman. I'm a little surprised he's still getting as much time at third as he is. He's been about 50-50 since he's been in Erie, but all three games I saw, he, he started at third base. Um, I think it's about time to pull the plug on that experiment. Make sure he's entirely comfortable at first, because that's where you're going to want him playing in the well, big leagues next year. I would actually... I would really like to see him just commit to first base. Let's just accept that this is going, and I say him, I mean obviously the organization directing it. Uh, I wonder what, if you thought he was athletic enough and he had the feet and the hands to play third, does that mean that when he does eventually go to first base, we should be putting high-end fielding expectations on him? I mean, he is, and it's not like he's a, obviously, he's a in-shape guy. He's not like, Miguel Cabrera right now in terms of size and girth and all that stuff. So, like, can I envision Mark Teixeira over there? I know, it, it, like, is that possible? Because he was a similar route. Uh, I don't know about 
Yeah, I would not say Mark Teixeira. Mark Teixeira could do... He had a little bit of a different build in that, you know, he could stretch out and, and really make some amazing snags at first. But I think Torkelson could be better than your average first baseman just based on his, his mobility. Again, we'll see with the hands. Uh, I... I'd like to see him play first a little more. I almost can't say because I've barely seen him play first, you know. Can he scoop the ball? Um, how well does he field grounders, hard hit grounders at first? I don't know because I haven't seen it because every time I watch him, he's playing third base. Yeah, true. Any uh, any guys that, you know, obviously the, the power trio, Dingler, Green, and, and Torkelson get the uh, majority of the attention, but is there uh, any other guys that, you know, you just like to see play ball. And, you know, I'm not asking to hype anybody up, but it's like, hey, this guy's a pretty good-looking ball player. I enjoy watching him. Yeah, well, Ryan Kreidler is the other guy that's been getting a lot of talk in the Tigers system recently, the shortstop out of UCLA. He was, I think, a fourth-round pick. And so going to see Kreidler, I was kind of almost looking – for a reason to be like, okay, like Kreidler's not that good. Like stop. Like sometimes the Tigers just start touting whoever has like a good week in double A. And it's like, to make it seem like their farm system has depth. And it's like, okay, like, like Elvin Rodriguez, who had a really great start to the year in Erie. I saw Elvin Rodriguez pitch. He actually went, um, I think seven innings in their double header, but he was throwing like 92 off speed was man. I was like this, like, okay, I'm not overly impressed. Ryan Kreidler, Okay, the Arnie Baylor, the the double uh, A manager in Erie, had been saying this guy could play in the big leagues defensively right now, and I got to say I agree. You know, as listeners of this pod know, I'm a big stickler on infield footwork, and Kreidler had great natural infield footwork. He had some great hands. He can pick the ball. He looked, you know, in that tier with Zach Short, where it was just like, oh no, this guy can play some shortstop. Um, he was e- probably even more mobile than I thought he would be given he is 6'4". He's, he's kind of lanky, though. He has no problem moving around. Um, he actually made a couple errors. One was a throwing error. When, I don't know if he's even scored an error, but it was an errant throw and a double play turn that he kind of rushed. It probably wasn't scored an error. Well, I, I don't think the runner took an extra base. Um, but, yeah, I was very, very – like. Just watching Kreidler take ground balls pregame, I kind of said, whoa, like three different times. And then I was more interested to see him offensively where it seems like there are more split opinions in the Tigers organization about what he could be. And I had heard there was a lot of swing and miss. I only saw him for three games. He wasn't facing great pitching. I didn't really see a lot of swing and miss. He homered. I saw... Something really good about the way he just lowers the barrel to the ball. He's got an upright stance. I could see maybe the swing getting a little long, a little slow at times, especially if he's facing more velocity. I'd like to see him face more spin, see how he fares against some good sliders. I wouldn't be shocked if there's kind of some holes in that swing, but at least in the three games I saw, I didn't see swing and miss. I saw a pretty good uh, bat path to the ball. So... Interested to see what the future holds for this guy offensively. Um, and he was actually a little, even though I think he had now has the record for most uh, minor league home runs hit by a Tigers shortstop in, in a season. He was a little lankier than I thought. Maybe didn't actually have quite as much power, like BP power, as I was anticipating. 
Uh, but a couple scouts I was seeing by, one scout brought up the comp of Jordy Mercer, and I'm starting to really like that comp. Tigers fans might not like Mercer for a, an ill-fated stint in 2019, but Mercer for a couple years was a very good shortstop with the Pirates. If Ryan Kreidler is anything close to Jordy Mercer, I think that would be a pretty good uh, a pretty good win. So that's even that's still a maybe win. a little optimistic, but I, I'm starting to like the Jordy Mercer comp. I think there are a lot of similarities. By the way, how do I sound? I sound all right? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, my my dog, Merle, uh, unplugged my microphone as he wanted to go to the window hey. in order to see the wind blowing in the trees. So... So I had to I had to scramble while you were talking there, but uh, okay. So that's going on in uh, in Erie, and you're still obviously paying attention to what the major league club is doing. Have you written another apology to Derek Hill for jinxing him again? Um, did I did I jinx him this time? Well, in your Tigers Talk article on Monday, you're talking oh, about how right. comfortable he oh, was wow. and. You know, and it's just like it's yeah. he's he's turning his own little corner, and it was oh so good. I loved reading every word, and then <laughs> and then a couple a couple days later, he has a nasty collision with Akil Badu in the outfield. Luckily, it looks like both of them are all right. But I mean, I uh, I'm sorry, dude. You know what? You're right. I'm gonna take the blame for jinxing Derek Hill. I did that, uh, and then you know. Multiple sources told me that Hill uh, was trying to avoid the IL. Actually, I had one source be like, no, he's not going on the IL. And I didn't quite report that because me being smart, I was like, okay, if Derek Hill's going to miss three or four days and his ribs are really sore, like they're not just going to carry him given how shorthanded they already are. They'll put him on the IL even if maybe he could be back in eight or nine days. So I reported like, you know, he's a... IL stint may not be necessary, but we'll see how the Tigers manage the roster. Sure enough, the Tigers put him on the IL. But Derek Hill was hoping to avoid the IL, still got sent to the IL. Maybe I'm partially to blame for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, poor guy just can't catch a break. But some other inside info, he told Akil Badu after the collision, like, come on, Keel, like you're playing the wrong sport. The Lions need you. And it was a football-esque collision, and Akil Badu does have a little bit of a football build to him. Uh, nasty collision, obviously, very scary. Luckily, neither of those guys seem to be seriously injured. Akil Badu is in the concussion protocol, but already seems to be moving around, doing more baseball activity. Uh, I'd imagine we see him back pretty soon. And, and Hill's just sore, you know, he's just beat up, he needs to get some mobility, they might um, send him to Lakeland or Toledo for a little rehab stint, but it sounds like you know nothing's broken. It sounds like he'll be okay as well. Bad beat for me after that collision that uh, Christian Stewart didn't get didn't get promoted because uh, you guys remember that last week that was my AJ Hinch suggestion box uh, to bump him up. You know he's raking in AAA currently. And uh, I think we can probably say now that he's not being taken seriously by the organization because, you know, Victor, uh, or Robson, I'm sorry, Victor was already up. Robson, Robson, Robson. Robson. I only. Kristen Stewart, not Christian, and Robson, not Robson. You're, you're killing me on the pronunciations here. Look, man, with a name like Kieran, I can mispronounce anybody's name because I've heard it all. All right, so I think I have some leeway because I had I once had a cop call me Karen. All right, so after I told him how to pronounce nice. my name, so 
I mean, as someone with the last name Stavenhagen, I value correct pronunciation, <laughs> which sometimes it irks me when people like my colleague James Edwards, who I've known for three years, still can't say my last name right. <laughs> like, come on. Like, come on. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, so Stuart, not, get, not getting called up, probably won't. And I just got to take that L, Cody. I just got to take that L. Yeah, again, teams tell you what they think about players with their actions, not with their words, not when they say, oh, he's having a good year, he's working hard. When Jacob Robson gets called up over you, that means the Tigers think you have no tools, all you do is hit home runs, and you probably can't hit home runs in the big leagues. I don't know if that's fair or not. Again, last week we detailed the Eric Haas story. Even Jacob Robson, um, kind of an overachieving guy who the Tigers have never really viewed as a prospect, even though he's put up very solid and consistent numbers at the AAA level for a couple of years now. But he finally gets a chance over Stewart, which I think well-deserved. Shout out to Jacob Robson for persevering, finally getting his chance. It also is quite the indictment of Kristen Stewart that the Tigers would take this guy who they never really viewed as a prospect and reward him over a guy who was once uh, one of their one of their top-hitting prospects. Yeah, And if you're Kristen Stewart, it must suck because you hit three bombs in a game, you hit another monster homer, it's got to be like, what do I got to do? It might be a message to Kristen Stewart that nothing you do is going to work in this system. You had your chance. Um, maybe he will he will find a place somewhere else. I don't know. Still like the guy's power a lot, so I, I wouldn't totally write him off. But I think that's a, a pretty strong message from the Tigers regarding your boy Kristen Stewart. Yeah, like I said, sometimes you just gotta take L's. You know, we give I know all about we, we give life lessons on this podcast, <laughs> and I think one of the best traits a human can have is knowing when to take an L and knowing how to take an L. Sometimes you just gotta just gotta take an L, man. Just take an L. It's oh, all right. A lot of life is about taking L's. Absolutely, life is about taking L's. So, big the another story you wrote this week was Michael Fulmer and sort of went inside which by the way all these stories we're talking about that are published will be published subscribe to the athletic if you waited and you hadn't subscribed yet you can't do the 50 percent off but you waited too long you waited too long you messed up that's an l that's an l if you uh if you waited too long so but you can bounce back from that l and you can subscribe now you don't have to pay what like 30 dollars you know more that's all right. Speaking, it's all right. Coffee I'm sorry. Day, I got. You know? I got to get this off my chest. Speaking of the of bad Twitter from earlier, that you know, someone came at you for linking your own article on a paywall, and it's like, please, uh, please subscribe so Olive can can eat. I mean, I don't know. It's just that guy. That guy seemed like a whack job. I doubt he listens to this podcast, but he kind of seemed like a whack job looking at his Twitter profile, <laughs> and that was a whack job comment. So. Uh, so not shout out that guy. Oh, but he liked uh, the video of Olive. You know, he probably still didn't subscribe, but he did like the video <laughs> of, of my cute dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Olive cures all. Uh, so so Michael Fulmer, you, you kind of went into what his day was like, uh, trade deadline day, where uh, and uh, something he's familiar with, having been traded before and and been in rumors, obviously, and that was kind of a late breaking rumor on trade deadline day as you were scrambling or not scrambling as you were off twitter uh, unfortunately that's that's the day it started all we've come full circle you're back on twitter and you wrote a story this week about trade deadline day life's a full circle so uh 
I, one of the quotes from him really caught my eye. He was talking about, you know, I love this team. Um, I love, you know, I love being here. I love the manager. And obviously, I, I know when comments are cliche and this could be a cliche. And that was my first, uh, my first thought. But then I kind of harkened back to the, the Jonathan Scope extension. And I thought, okay, well, there's actions here, obviously by different people, but there's actions here that sort of justify, you know, that, that statement. Like, th- this is a team that guys he, currently on the team, this is a team, this is an environment, this is a leadership uh, structure that guys want to be a part of. Uh, Jonathan Scope, you know, signed an extension, and, you know, he's got, we, we can talk about that a little bit, Um but we, you know, we see Jonathan Scope sign an extension. Michael Fulmer's relieved to not get traded. Uh, don't think that was happening last year. Don't think that was happening two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, Cody. I mean, I think this is. I think that's legitimately one of those signs of like an organization making strides. Yeah, I had a very sen- similar sense with Fulmer when he said that. I was, at first was like, okay, am I even going to use that quote? That's very cliched. But I was kind of going back and I was listening to our interview and. A lot of times when you see those quotes, oh, I just love this team in this city. A lot of the time it's because some reporter asked, how much do you love this team and this fan base? Oh, what's the guy supposed to say? Oh, no, like I hate this team and these fans really annoy me. Like no one's going to say that, of course. That would be silly. And I never ask those questions because that's a leading question and all you're going to get is a cliched answer. So Fulmer, much like Jonathan Scope a couple weeks ago, kind of brought that up very organically I, you know we were talking about the trade deadline and the fact he didn't get traded and he he was the one who kind of brought up and i'm glad i didn't get traded i love this team i love this manager um so again he didn't have to say he loves the manager like that's not really what we were talking about but he brought that up on his own and i do think number one there's a sense guys want to be on this team right now because there's a lot of positive energy i think some of the guys who have been around through the losing years definitely value seeing this thing swing around to the other side and i think you can you can count fulmer among those people everything he's been through from knee procedures to tommy john to struggling to moving to the bullpen he's finally kind of settling into this bullpen role as this team is on the rise and um look he only has one more year of team control I wouldn't be shocked if he's in trade rumors again this winter, next year's trade deadline. But I think A.J. Hinch sure likes having Michael Fulmer out of the bullpen. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it's real. I think Fulmer wants to be here, and I think he's suddenly looking like a pretty important piece to next year's team out of the pen. Well, I I mean, that's that's interesting that he brought it up. And that's really why you make the A.J. Hinch hire. Like, what what did we say spring training a lot? Like, it's serious now. And, and that's, that's a sign, like, I, I I legitimately believe that, especially guys like Fulmer that were in Detroit, sort of at the tail end of being competitive, and then, you know, what the past couple years have been, I think there's a real sense that they want to be around when the going gets good, like, they want to be, they want to be a part of that, too, because, you know, these athletes, they like, you know, they like having their hard work rewarded. They like like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. They like the journey. That's what you always you know hear him talk about is like you know the journey, the journey. Um, and so 
I, I get the sense that there's like these are real statements. These are real things that they feel that they want to like. I think that's partially why Miguel Cabrera is kind of hanging, not, not hanging on. But like, I think that's why there's a little bit more pep in his step as well. Is that like he and you kind of talked about it last week. You know, he's he's playing winning baseball for the first time in a couple of years. This is a guy who came in the major leagues and won a World Series and was a key part of a World Series team. You know, and the past couple of years couldn't have been easy. Uh, you know, 162 games or with the shortened season, you know, 60 games or whatever. Couldn't have been easy. But, like I said, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. They, or at least they seem to believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's really that's got to be a huge credit to A.J. Hinch and the, and the coaches around him that, that, he's, that he's brought in. It's completely changed the way we look at the team, the way I think Major League Baseball fans as a whole should look at the team. And the way the players probably feel going out to the ballpark every day. Yeah, and since we were talking about taking L's, I gotta I gotta take my Jonathan Scope L. Uh, I, I thought Scope's sentiment about wanting to be a Tiger was very real. I thought the Tigers wanted him back. Um, I mean, I knew the Tigers were interested in at least exploring that. I didn't think it would happen during the season. This is how real it was. Jonathan Scope basically sat down with Scott Boris and said, "No, I want to be a Tiger." Uh, that doesn't happen very often. And it was so real that he indeed did sign a midseason extension the day that I said that that would not happen during the season. So <laughs> I got to take that L and that only shows you it's so real that it overrode the, uh, the business sensibilities a little bit. Well, uh, I said this, I recorded just a little intro for our last episode, just to kind of give some quick thoughts, obviously saying that we would, we would talk about it the next time we, uh, we got on the mics together. Uh, my summary of it was it there there were no L's in that deal. The Tigers got a valuable player, um, versatile as we've seen this year, good hitter, nice veteran. Scope got a, a pay bump. He got some security, but he also maintained flexibility with that player option. I don't think that's something just from his perspective. I don't think that's something that should be. Uh, that should be forgotten about either. He didn't ha- like they didn't have to have a player option in there, uh, but he but he has it in there. So he's he's getting paid, he's got stability, and he still has flexibility. I mean that that's hard to you know envision a better deal for him and for the Tigers. I have to imagine not having to go through any qualifying offer process and you know the wait and see game of like how much money could he command on the market? Are you gonna get outbid? Are you gonna wait too long? Are you gonna you know? Are you going to sign him too soon or whatever? Uh, they Al gets that off his plate in, in a good way. So I think I, 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 no else to be had in that deal. What were your thoughts? Yeah, no, exactly. That's pretty much what I what I wrote. Um, AJ Hinch gets the player he wanted to keep in town. Scope gets to be where he wants to be. Gets a little raise. Gets security for the first time ever. It seems like Scott Boris is starting to really become a fan of the option. He got Nick Cassianos that deal loaded with multiple opt-outs. And that might just work out pretty well. We will see if Nicholas opts out at the end of this year, but it looks like Nick could have a bigger payday in store for himself. The scope opt out, it's there in case scope just has a monster year. I think 7.5 mil is pretty fair for scope and it would be hard for him to get a lot more than that. He would really, he would have to suddenly start walking a lot more in my opinion. Um, but there's a little flexibility there. And if you're Al, you appease the fan base, hashtag extend scope. Okay, I did that. What do you want me to do now? And you do as much as we talked about the CBA and, and the Delta variant and uncertainties with next year. Uh, 
well, you're willing to kind of take a little bit of a risk and say, no, we're going to lock up scope. And now you get a head start when building the rest of your roster. You can say first base slash second base. That's checked off. We got our first baseman. When we get torque up, we'll probably move scope to second. Or I, the more I think about it, the more I like. Just play scope at second next year and start out with Nunez or CJ Crone, a, a guy like that on a minor's deal for however long until you're ready to promote Torkelson. That's what I would like. But anyway, you get you get – one item already crossed off your shopping list. A better idea of how, how to allocate the budget. Uh, I think a super good move for all sides, which is kind of rare in baseball these days. So nice to see it work out the way it did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of Nunez, another victory lap. You know, we talk about taking L's. No L's nope. there. No L's, no L's on, there. No AJ L's Hinch listens. He hasn't got tossed yet, but I bet he will. Uh We've been right about a lot of things this year on the pod. Renato Nunez, another one. And what's he done since getting promoted? He's homered twice. So speaking of AJ Hinch listening to the podcast, uh, it's time for our suggestion box segment. I think this one's a little bit more sound than my other two. I'm kind of I'm kind of batting 500 on these, Cody. I I gotta admit I. Yeah, you know, the Willie Castro one was an L. Uh, the Stewart one turned out to be an L. And I think Derek Hill batting leadoff was a dub. Oh, that was a dub. That was a dub. And I think this one's a dub. Can we start giving a little bit more love to Jamer Candelario? Can we? Can <laughs> you? Can you give him a little bit more pub in the uh, in the media? You know, during your availabilities, I I think Jamer has been one of your one of your more steady players this year, one of the ones you can at least count on knowing he's going to give you what he's capable of this year, that you sort of just pencil him in, uh, you know, at third base and anywhere from two to five, six in the uh, in the lineup, and you just kind of let him do his thing, switch hitters, so you don't really have to worry about any, any pitching matchup, at least arm-wise, and solid... At first base, I think we don't talk about him as much as we should just because of like the solid, unspectacular play that is Jamer Candelario. And I think we need to give a little bit more love to a guy who's been nothing but but solid this year. And we talked about, you know, the Torkelson third base thing. Um Jamer Candelario is your only known commodity at third base in this organization as it pertains to the major league level. Only one. So uh, we've been trying to get rid of Jamer, it seems like, for several years now with, you know, <laughs> Paredes is the better prospect or the future of the position, and then you draft a guy number one overall and call him a third baseman. And he's steadily improved. He looks like he looks like a guy that on a winning team, you can have a Jamer Candelario in your lineup. And and that so I think we just got to give him a little bit more love. I think AJ should just give him a little more love. I think you're right. Something about Jamer doesn't get a lot of pub or a lot of love or or you know AJ's his manager and speaks positively about him, but not quite as glowingly as some guys or, or certainly a lot of his pitchers. You know, if Kristen Stewart, the one guy I've, I've just been wrong about on my team covering the Tigers, Jamer Candelario. As well documented, the guy I've just never been sure about. You know, I've gone back and forth on what I think he really is. I still 
struggle to, you know, if you're talking about, if you're talking about whether to extend him or not next year, man, that's a tough call. But right now I'm looking at the numbers. This guy's a 364 on base percentage. Yeah, he's only homered eight times, but he leads the league in doubles. His WRC plus is 120. He's 20% better than the league average hitter. Among third basemen, that ranks seventh in the majors. So when we're talking about, is this guy really your third baseman on uh, a playoff team? Well, he's better than 23 other third basemen right now. So yeah, his WRC plus ranks higher than Nolan Arenado, Yohan Moncada, Matt Chapman, Eugenio Suarez, some bigger name commodities. Jamer Candelario is performing better than them offensively this season. So I think that that says quite a bit. What do you got for AJ? AJ, let's see. Uh, something that's come up on Tigers Twitter, the Boston Red Sox DFA'd Marvin Gonzalez recently. Marvin, of course, had a very good year for the AJ Hinch Astros. Uh, was a four-win player under A.J. Hinch. The th- question has come up, especially with all the in- injuries, especially with the fact you really have no one serviceable at shortstop. Do you claim Marwin Gonzalez? I saw it. At first, I liked the idea. I kind of liked the idea of Marwin Gonzalez this offseason. I was looking at it a little more just earlier, and my suggestion for A.J. Hinch is... Do not claim Marvin Gonzalez. Do not allow your front office to claim Marvin Gonzalez. For as much as you might like the guy, for as much as he was good for you in 17, he was worth 0.2 wins above replacement, only hit 211 last year, worth negative 0.5 wins above replacement, hitting 202 with a 281 OBP this year. His strikeouts have been up. He does walk a little more than probably your Nico Goodrum or your Willie Castro He had 23 homers in 17, but that's really kind of been an outlier in terms of his power. Um, He hasn't had a weighted runs created plus of above 100 since 2018. He just really, for going on three years now, he hasn't been great. Claiming him for a month, does it really help you or would you be better served to continue to look at and evaluate Zach Shore, Willie Castro, you're probably going to have Daz Cameron coming back up healthy, um, even keeping Renato Nunez in your infield. As much as the Marwin idea sounds nice, I think when you actually look at it, I don't think the Tigers have much to gain from acquiring Marwin Gonzalez, so I don't think they should do it. That's good. That's good. That's what we're here for is to be able to see. That's the first in our suggestion box history is suggestion box has always been do this. So now we have now we have a yeah. now we have a don't, don't do, do this and don't that's I think that's also key. Sometimes it's the moves you don't make, you know, like Absolutely. like not trading Michael Good Fulmer time. that could turn out to be uh you know one of the you know one of the more sound moves Al made this year. Who knows? Assuming we're talking about twenty twenty one and not twenty twenty <laughs> or twenty seventeen, yeah. <laughs> remind the people. Remind the people about that. Well, I uh, there's there's some muddled reporting. Yeah, so maybe they could have had Bregman or Javier maybe, Baez. Maybe who knows? I, I don't who know. Knows? I don't know. That's been reported before in the Detroit Free Press. So there you go. So you uh, you had your Cabrera story come out this week. Uh, lots of fun anecdotes in there. It's available to read if you're an Athletic subscriber. Now that it's been out for 
you know, not quite a week, but about a week. What would you say is your favorite in there that you found that, that you put in? What was your favorite Cabrera-ism in there? I mean, my personal favorite anecdote was just the first time he ever saw Dontrell Willis pitch. I think because D-Train was a guy I really liked growing up. Um, still have fond memories of the 2003 World Series. And yeah, the first time that Dontrell Willis just gets traded to the Marlins, he's like 20, Miguel's like 19, here's D-Train. Lanky is all get out at that point. He's got the funky delivery, the crooked hat, and he's throwing a live BP. And he just hears this guy laughing off to the side. <laughs> Turns out it's Miguel Cabrera, a young Miguel Cabrera just dying at the goofy sight of Dontrell Willis. Miggy comes up to Dontrell after the uh, the live BP and says, "Hey, I like you, man. You have good stuff." And I think just the you know two players of my generation, one one of my favorites in D Train. That just really resonates with me. That must be what it's like for um, guys in an older generation hearing, you know, Al Kaline stories and stuff. I think it's really funny. My other big takeaway, I'll tell you this. My last day in Cleveland, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, you know, you get to learn a lot about some of these various artists. And it's just kind of a reminder that some people in the world are born and gifted with just supreme talents. Okay, so, you know... Janis Joplin on the microphone and Jimi Hendrix on the guitar. These people who were just incredibly good at what they did very early in their lives only lived to be 27 and are still viewed as these historic figures, some of the best at, at what they did ever. I think Miguel Cabrera might just be in that tier in terms of his ability to swing a baseball bat. The first time the Marlins saw this guy at age 15, it took not long at all for it to be like, okay, this is the guy. Of course, he's been a generational talent, one of the best right-handed hitters ever. He's had pretty much the same swing throughout his entire career. It's hardly changed. Even though his body has changed, his position has changed, he's had the same swing. Like His ability to hit a baseball is just innate, natural. If you're his hitting coach, there's not much you do other than don't mess him up. Uh, the guy's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And reporting this story, talking a little more to the scout who found Miguel, it was like, had he been able to stay a little more healthy, had he taken a little better care of his body, had he had a little better work ethic, could he be the best ever? I mean, who is more talented than Miguel Cabrera? Um, the list is already short and, and I think learning a little more about it and his origins and just the way he's always been this good, this natural of a hitter, um, seems like only you could probably count on one hand, the people who've been as naturally gifted at hitting a baseball as Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, definitely in the conversation of all time right-handers. And I mean, him and Pujols will probably always be thought of together because their careers overlap so much. Uh, even though obviously Pujols is uh came on the scene a little bit earlier, right? As much as and as much as Pujols is again a very natural, innate hitter, he was a little more unknown until you know he got into pro baseball. Miguel, the first time anyone saw Miguel, it was like, oh, this guy is going to be the best player to ever come out of Venezuela, and a lot of times guys don't live up to that sort of hype. Miguel Cabrera did live up to that sort of hype. And I wonder if there could have been an even higher ceiling for his career. Again, had he stayed a little more healthy, had his body uh, been in better shape, 
even without those things, he's he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Very true. Is there anything else you want to get in or plug? And yeah, for anyone who's reading next week, we we will have more stories coming from Erie. A story on the uh, Torkelson Riley Green bromance. A look at Dylan Dingler. I wrote already about Bo Brisky, the latest rising pitcher in the Tigers system. I think I'll have some more scouting notes in my Monday column. And the one-year anniversary of Casey Mize and Tarek Scruple's debut is coming up. Hoping to get some time with them and perhaps do a little story there. A little bit of a uh, broader view of their first year, the ups and downs in the major leagues. I think next week, once your uh, your Torque Green story is published, I think we need to start ranking bromances uh, okay. on the Tigers because... You got the the torque torque green and you know we'll throw Dingler in there, uh, the Scooble, Mize Manning, and I think Derek Hill and uh, Akil Badu because that's a good one because that's you know they one. went to Lions practice together you know and then they had the collision with the football joke or whatever you know so I think I think we I think that's the next deep dive in the athletic is examining. And ranking the bromances, but if it if it's not suited for print, then we can always talk about it here. But there's a lot of bromances on this team now that I think about it, or in this, this organization, true. I should say. AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter. AJ Hinch bromance. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, hopefully, you guys don't hear the storm too much on this podcast as it's coming down really hard. And uh, I've basically this entire time had my dog clawing my leg as he does it right now. Uh, because he's a little nervous with storms. So I hope you guys can forgive me if I wasn't quite on my A game. So next week, Cody's got a lot of great stuff. We'll come back and talk about bromances and whatever else is happening in the land of the Detroit Tigers. So for Cody Stavenhagen, oh, I'll follow up. Make sure to follow Cody on Twitter. Back on Twitter. Real account. At Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley our podcast page or as i should say our twitter reserve page is at turn corner pot so follow us on twitter subscribe rate and review please apple and spotify everybody have a great week and thank you for listening